Hello, and welcome to the Untold Hour. It's me, Bowser, back with a solo episode. But I tell you what, if you knew what I had in store for you, if you knew what I had planned, you'd be so excited. I'm going to do a whole episode of Weirds of the Week. We're going to just go through the sites that I go to when I'm looking up weird stories and read them real time and react to them real time. Now, some may say this is a little bit like a substitute teacher bringing a VHS copy of Glory to make the students watch instead of a mapped out lesson plan. I assure you that's not the case. This is the plan. It's a great plan, and y'all will agree if you just stick with me. But before we get to the episode-long Weird of the Week... I thought I should give an update on Gremmy Boy, a.k.a. the cat in the wall. Gremmy Boy is, as I said last week, out of the wall. He's in his crate. And I really think this past week has been a productive, forward-moving week for us. And I know this is going to sound crazy, and it's not going to sound like progress at all, but it is. I am able to open his crate reach in without wearing a cat glove, put his food down right in front of him without him hissing, without him swatting, without him even looking very much on edge at all, which is huge. I don't think you could understand how huge that is without living in my skin, walking in my shoes, and going through what I've gone through with Grummy Boy. He really seems to have relaxed over the course of this last week. Being in the crate, I've been going down there and talking to him at night. I've been listening to this great Hitchcock biography, and I'll just play it out loud on my speakers and kind of talk to him about it. Does that make me sound off? Yeah, a little bit. But I like to fill the space with my voice so he gets more and more used to me. And we were chatting about Hitchcock. Uh, Then I watched uh, YouTube show called Toy Galaxy, and they were talking about the My Pet Monster toys and the history of it. And I talked to Grammy Boy about that. I talked to him about how he was kind of like a little My Pet Monster, you know? Uh, They actually made smaller My Pet Monsters called My Monster Pet, I believe, and they were little handheld puppets uh, versions of the My Pet Monster doll, and that's kind of what Grammy Boy's like. Anyway, I know what you're thinking. We're already off the rails. We're already off track. Where's Jess? Bowser shouldn't do this alone. You're wrong. You're wrong. We're totally in line and on track. The Grummy Boy update is that he's chilling. He's vibing out. I think I'm going to do the rest of this week in the crate before I then open the crate, start feeding him outside of the crate like we were the weeks prior to him being in the wall. As far as the wall is concerned, it is all back up. I have secured the opening where he used to slip through behind the wall into the alleyway. It is now covered solidly with plywood. I had other people look at it and tell me, yes, there's no way a cat's getting behind here now. I even had friends of mine do a little walk around the garage, checking out if there's any other spots that they think uh, Grammy Boy could get himself behind. And they all agreed, I think this garage is now officially 
GBP, Grammy Boy Proofed. So after the end of this week, we will start feeding him outside of the crate and moving on to the next phase of his rehabilitation. What's after that? Me and Grammy Boy kissing, hugging, him sleeping on my lap. That is the next step. No, that's probably a few steps away, but that is the end goal. What else is going on in my life before we move into the weird of the week? I wanted to talk about, I, you know, I, I ranted about this on a live stream on my YouTube channel, but uh, I'm going to rant about it. I'm going to rant about it a little bit up top. Um, the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man from the Ghostbusters reboot. Look, it's not anything anybody needs to spend time on, okay? We don't need to talk about it. I don't need to further categorize myself as some aged, nostalgic, toxic male fan that only wants the original. Because guess what? I don't only want the original. I think Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 are incredibly flawed. And I actually think you should make more Ghostbusters. Hey, guess what? I also think the 2016 Ghostbusters had a perfect cast. I love those performers. I'm flexing. If you could see me, I'm so strong in my opinion on this. I love those performers. Is it a good movie? In my opinion, I do not think the movie works as a whole. But here's what I want to uh, delineate. I can dislike a movie for more nuanced reasons than you assume people my age don't like the movie for. Did that sentence make sense? Hold on, let me try it again. I can dislike the movie for more nuanced reasons than you may assume I'm disliking the movie for, right? Okay, so if I say, oh, you know, I wasn't a fan of the 2016 Ghostbusters, you might assume it's for all the reasons that a lot of the trolls online didn't like it. No, don't put me in the troll bucket. I'm not gonna fit. Don't put me in the troll bucket. I will be able to talk about a film on a nuanced, complex level and have my opinion without becoming a troll before your very eyes. It is possible because discourse around film and around art should remain nuanced and should remain complex, layered, and should always remain. You know, I feel like we've gotten to a point where how many memes do you see online that are like, shh, just let people like things. Hey, guess what, dude? It's not my responsibility to let you like something. First of all, why does my opinion affect whether or not you like something? If I say I don't like something and it makes you like it less, that's your problem, dude. That's not my problem. I'll never say this. If you like this movie, you are blank. You are dumb. Or you don't get movies the way I get movies. I will never say that. When I talk about my opinions on a film, it is my opinion on the movie. It is how I see it, how I take it, how I digest it. And it is no judgment on you. I'm also not somebody that's very vocal in my opinions when it comes to social media. This podcast and other podcasts I've hosted are mostly where I voice my opinions on art. I like keeping that stuff pretty close to the chest because I want to create art and I don't want to just yap about it. But that brings me back to the mini Stay Puffs. Now look, I'm not here for it, okay? I'm not here for mini Stay Puffs, dude. It already speaks to a miscalibration of tone in regards to I think what 
an audience will enjoy out of a Ghostbusters film. Okay? Why do I bring this up now when this clip came out months ago? Because they released a clip this week of Bill Murray reacting to the mini Stay Puffs on a Zoom call with Ivan Reitman watching alongside with him. Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> Who's that clip for? It's for me. It's for me. You're trying to tell me. I know you're feeling pandered to. I know you're feeling like we're attempting to rep replicate a formula that cannot be replicated. I know you feel like the inclusion of the Stay Puft as a character is reductive is condescending. I know you're feeling that way, but I'm here to tell you, fuck off. You're an idiot. I'm going to condescend to you further and have the grandfathers of the original franchise tell you to like the mini Stay Puffs. Well, guess what, dudes? I refuse. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you for making me want to like the Stay Puffed minis. You just made it worse, guys. You made it worse. That's like your parents when they're trying to get you to eat veggies. And they're like, I love veggies. They're so good. Aren't they good, dad of the kid? And the dad's like, yeah, I love veggies. I love veggies more than dessert. Fuck you. We can see through the game. If you had not released that clip, I would have simply not liked the Stay Puffed minis. I would have felt like you were trying to shovel nostalgia into my ass. But I would have moved on and still seen the film and hoped for the best. Maybe it's a dream sequence. Maybe it all makes sense organically. Maybe it actually connects canonically somehow. Maybe there's a reason why the creature from the first film is manifesting in this new one. It was a pretty iconic movement it was a pretty giant occurrence in in the world uh to see this giant marshmallow man walking down the street so it's in everyone's consciousness and the reason it was in the first film is that it was in ray's consciousness so maybe there's a reason right i'll go with it but now you release a clip with bill murray and ivan reitman going hey bill have you seen it you haven't seen this yet watch this what do you think and bill going i tell you what i love it and I love it, and it's great. And I tell you what, I love it. Come on, guys. What we, 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 we don't need propaganda. Just make the movie good and, and shut up about shoving it down our throats. Anyway, whoo! It ended with Bill Murray going, man, it's got the tone, doesn't it? It's got the feel or something like that. Now, are you ready for something? What if, and I know this is a larger conversation, what if the originators of a thing don't understand the tone of the thing? The book I just read, Wild and Crazy Guys, which is about the boom of comedy in the late 70s and early 80s, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, Steve Martin, talks about the fact that Bill didn't get Ghostbusters until like 15 days into filming. It took him a very long time to catch up to what Ramis and Aykroyd had built, okay? I still think to this day the tone of Ghostbusters is misunderstood. I think it, it, it has been digested and compartmentalized in a really, uh, in a weird space, okay? It's hard, hard to explain without me sounding even more like an idiot, 
But clearly Ghostbusters 2 is already a miscalibration of what Ghostbusters 1 establishes. So is it possible that going into this remake or reboot or sequel that we're even getting a further distanced Xerox from the alchemy that made the original tick? Key of which being Harold Ramis. <sighs> Nobody asked for this rant. It will mean nothing and it will go nowhere. And I hope one day I get to direct a Ghostbusters movie that everybody complains about. So, Jesus Christ, let me shut up and move on to Weird of the Week. Weird of the Week. That was just a little, you know, thorn in my paw that I had to yank out at the top of the show before I could move on and talk about what really matters, which is worm tornadoes. <laughs> so last week, actually, I had some weird of the week prepped and they were all like weird animal stories. So some of these are left over from last week. But check this out. I mean, it is grody as fuck. Heavy rains in New Jersey preceded an appearance of a worm tornado. Spring rains often bring scores of earthworms to the surface where they writhe on top of soil and sidewalks. But recently, heavy rainfall... Hold on. I just remembered something else that really bothers me about the Ghostbusters thing. Okay. The whole problem with the fandom that everybody puts forth is that we all feel like too much ownership over the thing, right? And I I agree. I think I know how to make the perfect Ghostbusters movie. I think I know how to make the perfect Gremlins movie. Any kid that grew up in the 80s has a chip on their shoulder about what made these movies work and about how they don't work now because they're being made wrong. I mean, slap whatever you want into that mix. The Indiana Jones sequel, even the Fright Night remake, Anything that, oh, god damn, the Child's Play remake. Any of these things that are uh, exploiting the films that popped in the 80s, but trying to kind of push them through a modern lens, not modern sociologically speaking or culturally speaking, but technically speaking, okay, uh, they fail. They don't work. So, yes, I have a chip on my shoulder. Yes, I'm an a-hole about it. But when Jason Reitman said, when he said early, early on in the process that he could technically be considered the original Ghostbusters fan because he was on set as a six-year-old, you know, that didn't endear you to Ghostbusters fans, okay? All right? If anything, that made the chip on my shoulder grow ten times. Because... Like I said, just because you were the first Ghostbusters fan, because you were privileged enough to be on the set because your father made the film, that's fucking tight. We all fucking know that's tight. We all wish our fucking dad made Ghostbusters. I don't get, I don't have to trust you because you were grandfathered into the system at large, Okay. Because the tonality of Ghostbusters isn't dependent upon proximity to said property. That is a mistruth. Okay? That is a fallacy. 
if you said you understood the DNA of Aykroyd and Ramis's script on a guttural level and that you feel like it aligns with your sensibilities as a filmmaker, I would trust you more. If you say you were grandfathered in because of relationship, I would trust you less. Okay. Holy crap. What are we on? What are we on? Worm tornadoes. Because I don't think the DNA of Ghostbusters has been prevalent in Jason Reitman's movies. Do you? Do you? What a specific tone. What a specific, like, slipstream of tone. What a pocket. I mean, that's hard to get into that pocket. That's a groove, man. Bruno Mars has a hard time getting into that pocket. This is uh, nothing you can fall into. And I don't think uh, midichlorians get you there either. I was at South by Southwest once as a filmmaker, and Jason Reitman spoke to all of the young filmmakers, a lot of uh, whom were there, and it was their first film festival ever. And the first words out of his mouth were complaints about how he lost the Oscar for Up in the Air. He said something like, hey, I know what it's like, you know, I know what it's like to be in the trenches. I just got back from an embarrassing night losing at the Oscars. And there was an audible groan from the room of indie filmmakers that are fucking thousands of dollars in debt because of their self-financed shorts and features. That's how you're going to commiserate with me, dude? Hey, I get it. I just lost my Oscar for your second movie, motherfucker. Third movie. I don't know what it was. Read the room, dude. Hey, I'm one of you struggling filmmakers. You know, my movie, my second movie that I just made with George Clooney with the biggest movie star of all time didn't win an Oscar. And don't come for me, trolls. I know it, it, was, it was probably his third movie. Fourth movie. I don't care. You don't complain to a room full of aspiring filmmakers at a film festival about how you lost the Best Director Oscar. No tears will be shed, Jace. All right. Worm Tornado, a resident of Hoboken, New Jersey, was out for a morning walk in a park near the Hudson River when she spotted hundreds of worms spread along the walkway. The woman who asked not to be identified told Live Science that after her initial surprise, she noticed something even more bizarre. A number of the worms had formed a cyclone-like shape, creating a spiral where the edge of the grass met the concrete. I'm telling you, these images are so disgusting. The women took photographs and sent them to Tiffany Fisher, a member of the Hoboken City Council, who showed the images of the tornado of worms on Facebook. Clearly, worms come out after it rains, but this is something I've never seen. When the photographer saw the worm tornado, they weren't actively spiraling, although individual worms still wriggled in place, she told Live Science. There were no open pipes nearby, and though most of the worms were spread out in a big swirl, there were plenty of worms extending beyond the outer curve of the wormnado. They clung to the wall of a nearby building and dribbled down the curb and on to the road. All right, we've got serial killer Dick. 
What, what's one of the other films we've talked about on Untold Hour, Bizarre States? Uh, well, now we've got Worm NATO. First, let's see if Worm NATO already exists. Because if it doesn't, it's going to. In, oh, I typed in Worm Mando, like Commando. Well, hey, we'll make Worm NATO. Then we'll make Worm Mando. There has never been a film called Worm NATO. Copyright, Untold Hour. In perpetuity, throughout all of the dimensions and universes, okay? Worm NATO, owned by us. It's in the books. The scientists that study found, in in a study, found that earthworms in the species as Sania fetida would form clusters and influence each other to select a common direction during migration. And they do so using touch rather than chemical signals. So this collective behavior could help earthworms survive environmental threats such as flooding or arid soil and it could also be a defense strategy against predators so one exceptional example of the earthworm herding was captured on video in 2015 by rangers at eisenhower state park in the footage omg several enormous masses of pink earthworms wriggled on a road so recent flooding may have brought about this herding behavior prior to the wind and storm picking up a cluster of earthworms and spinning them in to a tornado cycle. Okay. I didn't think this entire episode would be about worms, but arguably it could be and should be. This video that is also linked in this article, oh my fucking gosh. Holy God. You are talking about clusters of earthworms fucking hell being poked at by a park ranger with a stick it looks like krang from ninja turtles taken out of his shell taken out of his humanoid casing and splayed out on the concrete i'm you have never seen something as disgusting as this and they go down the road cluster space cluster space cluster space Cluster space. I'm talking about 30 separate clusters of herding earthworms covered in mud and pink sloshy goo stretching down this road. Holy hell. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't even know where to go. Now we're talking about herdworms. Is that another horror movie? Worm Mando, Worm Nado, Herdworms. We've seen these worms follow trails of water and form all kinds of paths and aggregate structures. These aggregations occur once water leaves. However, as it's unknown what type of worms made the tornado or spiral, any conclusions about their behavior would be simply speculation. Wow. Well, in any case, whatever may have caused the Hoboken wormnado didn't last. When the woman who photographed it returned to the park a few hours later... The swirl had disappeared. There were still plenty of worms all over the walls, curb, and sidewalk, but the bulk of it was gone. I'm not sure where they went. I know where they went. They formed a wormando, and they're going to attack our cities. Next weird of the week. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to talk about this. 
and I hesitate to, okay? Because some people would say, this guy's not worth talking about. Uh, he's not worth publicizing. Ah, fuck. Maybe he's not. Ah, shit. I don't know. I think I'm in it now. I think I can talk about it with the disclaimer that I don't approve of this shit. Um, I, 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 but I admit I've got a morbid curiosity around this shit. You know, we've talked about haunted houses. We've talked about haunts on this podcast. We've even gone to some haunts. We, I don't know if we've ever talked about McCamey Manor. We might have. Now, everybody's rolling their eyes if they know about McCamey Manor, okay? McCamey Manor is a, a, an extreme home haunt run by uh, a guy named, I think, Russ. Yeah, Russ McCamey. Now, I think he used to be based out of San Diego or near San Diego, but now he's in Tennessee. I've followed this guy because there's this mystery surrounding what happens at this house. You've got to sign a waiver that really gives away far too much. Uh, it, it allows the people that run the haunt, I believe, to touch you. I believe to force you into small spaces. I don't know if they can pour, you know, shit on you. I don't know. I don't know what. There's a documentary out there called Haunters. I would recommend you watch if you want to learn more about McCamey and other home haunts. Uh, I believe it's on Netflix. You can also look up McCamey Manor on YouTube because they he's been on local news. He's always said nothing happens that these people don't consent to. Other people say he's a maniac, and they say, uh, you know, this guy should be shut down. And he has been shut down multiple times. And he moves and opens up the experience in another state and gets away with it for as long as he can there before shutting down and moving on to another state. There's an episode, I believe, of um, uh, David Ferrier's show. Oh, come on, Bows. You watched all of it. Dark Tourist. Uh, let me see. I think it's an episode of Dark Tourist where he goes to McCamey Manor. Yeah, Dark Tourist, McCamey Manor. And I do think David, the host, who I love, um, I think he bails before entering the haunt because the buildup to going into the haunt is I something like four hours and the disclaimer, uh, the release is just fucking massive. And I think he felt like it was giving away too much control over his body and his safety. And I, I, I believe he went as far as getting blindfolded. Uh, you've got to wear like things that kind of hold your mouth open. I think he went as far as the initial kind of hazing that starts prior to being put into a truck and driven to the location. But I think he clocked out during that initial stage of hazing. And guess when I would have clocked out? Uh, before even going to Tennessee. Yeah, I have I have no interest in, in partaking in something like this. I don't condone what he does. But I am fascinated by the people and personality types that would be intrigued by this because many people sign up to try. Many people... Consider it to be uh, on their bucket list. Maybe they're thrill seekers. There's been a lot of former military that feel like it's it's um, you know uh, what's it called? Not resist, not resistance training, but 
uh, training to see what their body can handle and how far they can go. They've already gone through so much. Maybe they could go to the ends of themselves by doing something like the McKamey Manor experience. Anyway, here's why I bring up McKamey. For some reason, he was in the news just a few months ago. But, you know, this might be one of these bullshit articles that's just a fluff piece to give him more attention. So, let's see. The title is, Owner of McKamey Manor says that punters have pulled their own teeth out. Now, I guess now I should say trigger warning. If you have a problem with violence, especially self-inflicted, turn back now. But I want to see what this article is about. McKamey Manor is known for one thing and one thing only, scaring the living hell out of anyone who dares to visit. Lad Bible spoke to the mastermind behind the experience, Russ, who said punters have gone so far as to pull their own teeth out. Is punters just the term for people that sign up, or is that like a a known term? Hundreds, maybe thousands of people have tried to make it through to the end of McKamey's survival horror boot camp experience that is tailor-made to each visitor's worst fears. But even within twenty thousand, even with twenty thousand dollars on the line, because I think if you get through, you get twenty grand, no one has ever managed to succeed. Many tapping out before they even began, and with some thrill-seeking, uh, some thrill-seekers having left the Tennessee experience with fewer teeth and less hair than they started with, it's not hard to see why. Russ, who spent 23 years in the Navy, says he never wants anyone to get hurt, but often they just insist. What, dude? They do it to themselves, he told us. I don't do it myself. They pull their own teeth, which is very difficult to do. And they pull their own nails and they cut their own hair. I just monitor it. With the use of hypnosis and other types of mind control techniques that we use, we can get them to do some crazy things, but they still have to be willing to do it. They have to, you know. God damn, dude. What are you doing? What are you doing, dude? What are you doing? What are you doing? I don't even consider this to be a haunt. We all know that the human body is going to respond to certain forms of torture. I don't know what you accomplish by inflicting those forms of torture. I don't care if it's psychological or hypnosis. If you're getting people to a state of hysterics to where they are injuring themselves, uh, you're bad, okay? You're bad. That's not cool. And that's also, to me, not the spirit of a haunt. Not the spirit of, I mean, hey, to each his own. If this is, I can't yuck anyone's yum, but that to me doesn't feel like what you want out of a haunted house. When you think about the spirit of being scared In the context of a haunted house, you think about it being safe. That's why the thrill is also fun, because it is ultimately safe, you know, because you can walk out an LOL. If it's an experience that you can't walk out of LOLing, I don't know that it's a haunt. I don't know that it's about the thrill of experiencing fear in a safe environment. It just sounds like abuse. And, you know, then you say, well, but these people sign up for it. Okay, well, what's the language like in those agreements? You know what I mean, dude? Yikes. Even though we use hypnosis in different mind control situations, this is from Russ, they're still very much aware of what's going on. They're not, like, completely out. I couldn't make them jump off a building or something. So, yeah, when the times have come that we've had people take out a tooth, they've taken out their own tooth. 
which is crazy to me. That's like nuts to me. But yeah, they get into it. They get into it. And they try the best they can to really succeed. But what are you doing? Are you, are you telling people that, you know, that there's like a monster in their mouth, that there's something in their tooth that's going to burrow into their brain? Like, what are you doing to get them to that point? Despite the obvious terror involved, the majority of people, Russ says, love the experience and come back time and time again to test themselves against the manor. However, the controversy surrounding him in the show, though it has helped drum up business, has a dark side. Russ gets death threats. He says, I still get a lot of hate mail and hate emails, hate voice messages, crazy ones, you know, from people wanting to kill me and stuff. I mean, death threats, it's crazy. If anything does happen to me, it's because something like that did happen. If I end up disappearing or end up getting hurt, it'll be because one of these crazies did it. Well, why are you saying, what, what is this? What's the point of this article? And why is Bowser reading it on the Untold Hour? That's the real question. Russ now runs a much easier version of the Manor tour. He says he got rid of the 20 grand prize because it attracted the wrong kind of people. Huh. Okay. First of all, I want you to know I'm not defending Russ's use of the word crazy in this article. He's definitely using it flippantly. And uh, we're not attempting to define anyone based on mental illness or discrediting their mental health by throwing the word crazy around. Russ McCamey, however, is. Russ says, I was getting the crazy ones that were like, that would do anything. And the manor is always going to win. I tell him, you know, you're not going to walk away with a penny, dude. Ten hours of manor activities is going to beat anyone. I don't care who you are or how tough you are. Okay, he now runs a show called Descent, which is much shorter than the original 10-hour Desolation Tour. Jesus, fuck. And also has a much higher success rate, which wouldn't be hard. Though Russ says that even if you do make it through, it doesn't really count. He says, it's a six-hour show, and it's more of an experience where people can actually make it through. It's not as, as rough as some of them as some of them are. They still tap out, but we try to give them something that's a bit easier, right now at least. But you can't really count it, though, because it's not a real show. Well, okay, again, what's the fucking point of this article, Lad Bible? Are you trying to pump up the Descent show? Are you trying to tear down Russ McCamey? Are you trying to lift up Russ McCamey? Is he trying to tear down his current show? Jesus Christ. I'm trying to get somebody to write up my Kickstarter. I'm trying to get somebody to write an article and quantify the Kickstarter as a, a real success. You know, unrepped indie filmmaker raises half a million dollars from his garage. Hey, I'd read that article. I'd read that article if it weren't about me. And can I tell you, does anyone want to write the article? Now. But we'll write about Russ McCamey and his new show that even he doesn't like, that even he says isn't an accomplishment, even if you make it through. But my old show that nobody could complete that was actually just abuse. Oh, let's talk about that. But we don't do it anymore. But here's Descent. But don't go to it. All right, anyway. God damn. <clears throat> High horse much? Yes, sir. Okay. Even though Russ isn't offering the Desolation tour anymore, he says that if you really want to do it, he can make it happen. Russ says, I'll be the one. I'll be the first one to complete it. I hear that a lot. And if I, if somebody really wants that 10-hour desolation tour, we can hook them up. You really don't want to do it. But if you do, just be mentally and physically prepared. It's going to be a rough show. I recommend the easier tours first. See how you do. Thanks, Russ. Um, okay. I once, as a kid, was locked in a trunk. I don't know if I've told that story. Have I? Um... 
I was at my friend Alex's house, and um, we were playing hide and seek. And I don't remember if his friend, uh, sorry, his brother Scott, um, suggested I hide in the trunk, or if I just chose to hide in the trunk. Not the trunk of a car, but like a chest, you know, like a, a wardrobe chest that would be at the end of of a bed. Uh, if you're watching Anne of Green Gables, but I hid in this chest, and I tell you what happened. Scott locked the chest. Okay, and then somehow convinced Alex I had gone home, so not to look for me. How long was I locked in the chest? Who knows? Uh, I don't have a concrete memory of what time elapsed. I was also a child, so it could have been an hour, it could have been 10 minutes. But I'll tell you what, however long I was in that trunk, I was soaking in white-hot panic. Yes, that's right. That white hot panic that you could only feel as a child where you don't understand a way forward. I mean, where do we go from here? I'm in the trunk. Scott's told Alex I'm gone. What if they leave? What if his parents come home and they all go to the mall? What if they go to Scott's baseball game? Is this where I end? Is death not only real, but soon? Terrifying thoughts, dude. Terrifying thoughts. All to say, could I last 30 minutes at McCamey Manor? Fuck no. I went to my own McCamey Manor as a child. Alex's treasure chest. And I failed. Um, somebody came for me. I mean, goddamn, I was banging on that thing. But it was a while, dude. It was a while. I think he actually convinced Alex to like, go outside and play. I think he was like, oh yeah, Andy went home, but hey dude, come on, let's go play basketball outside. And uh, and Alex was like, sounds cool. Not questioning the logic of, wait, my friend that had just agreed to play uh, hide and go seek dipped. But then again, in Scott's defense, well, no, in Alex's defense, as a kid, you did, like, dip quickly. Remember? You'd be in the in the middle of a game. You'd be like, okay, so the Ninja Turtles are over there, okay? You've got your Nerf gun. I'm gonna run out. But then, John McClane shows up. I was really into Die Hard, even as a young kid. And then, John McClane, oh, wait, I gotta go, I forgot. I gotta be home at 4 o'clock. Bye! And then you just dip. You know? You just dip. So, it is possible that uh, that, that would have been a believable lie from uh, from Scott. All right, this next article has been clicked on by me, but has not loaded. <laughs> that's, that's the article. Okay, oh my gosh, dude, skip the survey. Okay, here's the article. Be careful with scary stories. What does this mean? What does this mean? This is from the Suffolk News Herald. What does this mean? There has always been an interest in the things that are scary, dark, or macabre. This interest goes back as far as we can trace human history. Stories about ghosts, monsters, or strange and unusual things that can be found in ancient writings. And scary stories have continued into all forms of modern storytelling. It's hard to say what drags us into scary stories. Perhaps it's the adrenaline rush that comes from the fear, or maybe it's the intrigue of the unknown that draws us in. 
whatever it is, scary things can be gripping. I do not have a problem with some scary stories. They can be entertaining. Most of us are drawn to them from time to time, and children are no exception. Tales of the Bogeyman. By the way, when do you spell it boogie with two O's? When do you spell it boogie with one O? Right? Um, also, when I was in film school, we watched one of the original Jekyll and Hyde movies, and the movie opened with, like, a host. You know, they were being kind of cute. It was kind of like a Vincent Price thing, or like a Hitchcock Presents. And it was like, hello, dare you enter this gravely tale, this terrifying story of Jekyll and Hyde? And god damn, it made me laugh. I don't know. Like, just one of those dumb things that set 19-year-old me off. Me and my friend Joe, we said Jekyll. God damn, we've said Jekyll so many times it made us laugh so hard. Jekyll. And it was spoken with the same uh, cadence of Nadel Dazim, the wickedly talented Nadel Dazim, the Travolta flub, Jekyll and Hyde. The wickedly talented Jekyll and Hyde. Oh my god, I love it. Tales of the Boogeyman, monster stories over the campfire. Books, TV shows, and movies often tell scary stories to children without being too frightening or going into more adult themes or situations. Unfortunately, this has begun to change. Wait a minute, where's this article going? Am I going to agree with it? Am I going to disagree Are they in support of the mini Stay Puffs? Where are we going? Many entertainment options geared towards children are now including dark themes and undertones that were once withheld for late-night television or not ventured into at all. One example is a popular children's series that features animatronic animals controlled by the souls of deceased children trapped in these figures uh can you can you give it a name what is that that sounds amazing a popular children's series that features animatronic animals controlled by the souls of deceased children sign me the fuck up another video game titled living nightmares 2 okay okay now wait a minute Are they talking about little nightmares? This article says living nightmares. And I don't think... I don't think that's what they mean. Little nightmares is fucking tight. That's one of the only games I play. Features a boy who is murdered at the beginning of the game only to find his deceased form trapped in a strange land where he faces dismembered patients of a hospital and a host of other frightening creatures. We've come a long way from the monster under the bed and the boogeyman who lurks in dark corners. Not all scary stories are bad for children, but many modern-day tales take frightening stories, games, or shows to a whole new and inappropriate level. Okay, am I on a Christian website? I might be, right? Is the Suffolk News Herald a Christian website? What have I done? What have I stumbled into? I have no idea. I'm going to keep reading because even if it is a Christian website, I'm curious to hear the rest of this person's opinion. I can tell I already staunchly disagree. 
We must be careful about what our children hear, watch, and play. Not all scary things are created equal. Many provide a moment of fear in the make-believe world of our imaginations, but others expose genuinely dark and evil things. Oh, boy. Oh, can we say triggering baby? Growing up Christian, Methodist, baby! It's our job to filter our children's entertainment options and to protect them from the real darkness that can quickly invade their developing minds and hearts. Next, we should be careful not to... Okay, first of all, this is what I hate if this is coming from a Christian perspective. They always do this. I know I'm generalizing, but I also grew up Christian. I've had a fuck ton of Christian conversations in my life. This generalization, right? So they gave two examples, right? They gave two examples. They tried to get those hackles raised. You know, this is a video game about a, a kid that dies. Oh, yeah. You don't talk about what it's trying to do. If it's trying to help kids cope with fear, if it's trying to help kids understand death instead of being terrified of it, trapped in Alex Mason's trunk. And then you talk about an unnamed children's series that's about kids' souls controlling animatronic toys. You know what it reminds me of? It's the fucking Music Man, dude. You remember in Music Man? What is it? Is it is it Harold Hill? Is that the name of the is that the name of the uh, the character in Music Man? He comes into town. And uh, yeah, Harold Hill. Hold on one second. I'm going to fucking read you the lyrics of this, dude. Trouble. You got trouble. Right here in River City. This is, I mean, this is fucking it, dude. He comes to town and he says, and I was in this play twice as a kid, so I'm a fucking expert. He comes into town and he tells everybody, you got trouble. You got trouble. Your kids are falling in line with the devil. They're drinking beer. Oh, they're playing billiards. Whoa, they're reading comic books. Whoa, they're filling their minds with filth. And that's going to lead them down a path where they are unrecognizable little demons running through your streets. So how do we get them off of that? We get them off of that by getting them on to musical instruments. In Music Man, it's musical instruments. But, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Music Man, he's a con artist, and he's collecting the money to get the instruments, but he's just gonna skip town, dude, with your money, citizens of River City. But guess what? He might fall in love with your town librarian and have a change of heart and actually deliver on the fucking instruments. Huh? In the song, You Got Trouble, it ends, uh, one of the verses ends with him saying, the idle brain is the devil's playground. I mean, oh my gosh. Is there a nicotine stain on his index finger? A dime novel hidden in the corn crib. Is he starting to memorize jokes from Captain Billy's whiz-bang? Are certain words creeping into his conversation? Words like swell and so's your old man. Well, if so, my friends, you got trouble. Right here in River City, with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. I mean, this is the setup. This is the con. This is the gambit. Problem? Not spoken about with nuance or depth. Solution? 
gives me money. And that's the same thing this article is doing. Problem? I don't know. A couple video games that are uh, about heavy shit that actually would be good for a kid to learn about? Solution? Whatever Christian thing they're pushing you toward. Whatever church they're pushing you into. Whatever tithing. Whatever purchase that supports the church. And the greater good. The reason I'm thinking this is a Christian website is because the calendar of events on the website is... Bible studies. Uh, Bible studies. So I seem to have stumbled on a Christian website that doesn't talk about these issues with much nuance. Okay. Next, we must be careful not to allow our children to inundate themselves with tales of darkness. An occasional scary story is one thing, but a constant diet of scary stories or games with dark and disturbing themes can twist young, developing minds. A focus on evil or disturbing things can affect... See what they're doing? Evil, evil, evil. You got trouble right here in River City. Trouble with a capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. See, he jumps. He goes from trouble with a T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. And now all of the people, the gullible people of River City are like, Trouble! The trouble is pool! Why? Because he fucking rhymed it? And that's what they're doing. They're just saying, evil, disturbing things, disturbing, susceptible, disturbing, susceptible, video games, susceptible, evil, evil. There's actually nothing being said of value. There's nothing substantial being said. There's nothing uh, from a, a psychological perspective. There's no scientific evidence. That these things affect the brain? I mean, am I reading from a website that is like notoriously um, kind of wrong-minded and behind the times? If so, I apologize for how fucking angry it's making me because, I mean, maybe I'm a dum-dum for not knowing this website would set me off. But it did nonetheless. So there's nothing to, to support this argument. It's just... We can't focus on these dark things. We can't, we can't, we can't. Why? Because, because, because. Why? Just because, just because. Scary stories should be limited and closely monitored. We all survived the ghost stories around the campfire growing up. Survived. Come on. And I am in no way opposed to an occasional story that gives goosebumps to children and adults, but we must be careful. It's our job to protect our children, and that includes guarding their hearts and minds from the darkness who boy well i couldn't disagree more i was a scaredy cat a child that lived in fear and you know what helped me finally watching a fucking horror movie finally watching tales from the crypt pushing past that fear and understanding that this excitement, that this titillation, that this adrenaline didn't mean death and darkness, didn't mean punishment, didn't mean somebody was going to hit me with lightning. It could actually mean an expansion of my imagination, an understanding of my strength, a more intimate experience with myself and how my brain operates. Now, should you sit down your child and have him watch Human Centipede? No! Is that what I'm saying? No! What I am saying is, as somebody without kids, so I know this opinion doesn't have much weight, I think there is a supreme lack 
of scary material for kids. I think kids need scary material. Not scary material that is too adult, but scary material that is for them. There's a great podcast called Unspookable, and it's a spooky podcast for kids, and it's great. And they unpack these things. They don't shy away from them. They talk about urban legends. They talk about cryptids. They talk about ghosts. And they don't give you an answer one way or another. They respect the child enough and the parent that's probably letting them listen to this to have a conversation around the material instead of shrouding it in all of these scary definitions and stuffing it into the closet where it can just grow and grow and become more overwhelming than it should have ever been in the first place. (sighs) Remember watching Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Remember watching Ghostbusters? Remember watching Gremlins and feeling like you were safe and then being (gasps) terrified and then being safe again and then (gasps) terrified and then safe again? That's a sacred experience. I, I want my kids to sit down and get scared. And I want them to want to get scared because I want them to know that you can be scared and you can be safe on the other side. I think that's important. I could go on and on about this, but I think I've said enough. Uh, I mean, what else could you want out of this episode? We, We had a worm NATO. We had a rant about the next Ghostbusters film entry. We talked about Russ McCamey, even though we shouldn't have. And we ended on uh, a a diatribe regarding Christianity and being shielded from the darkness as it relates to the music man. Uh, I, (laughs) I have been Andrew Bowser. And until next time, you've been listening. To the untold hour. Bye. Untoldians, that is it for this episode of the Untold Hour. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wild ride into the bazaar. If you are interested in sharing your own story of the weird, send us your listener stories to the Untold Hour Pod at gmail.com. Come join the Untold Hour Convo over on my Discord server and our Facebook group. And you can follow us on our socials, Instagram at The Untold Hour and at Untold Hour Pod on Twitter. Star Bands Audio, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.